Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. We're back with George Fitzsimmons. Hello, George. Good morning. Welcome back, George. Thank you. Glad to be here. We covered a lot in part one of our interview with you, and uh, we have a lot more to talk about. So, George, we all have problems with experts. If I can put a case on without an expert, I'm not going to use an expert. I think an expert is something of last resort. It's more for the court. It's more for the court of appeals in cases like med mal cases and product cases. My experience is I don't think jurors put too much emphasis or believability or whatever with experts. I heard from a speaker somewhere that said it's, you know, associations, like they'll give words and what people associate with that particular word and the top word association for expert for the general public. You guys know what it was? Whore. Expert. <laughs> Most people associated that with the word whore. But let me ask you this. What can you tell us about our own experts? In other words, when you have to hire an expert, what are some of the things to think about or look out for or some of the pitfalls? Well, ideally, you have an expert who hasn't testified very often. But most of the time, they have testified, whether he's an engineer, whether he's an accountant, whether he's a medical doctor. The first thing I look for, either on a Zoom call or in person, is how is he going to relate to the jury? Do I like him? Does he seem like a professional? Does he look like a medical doctor? You know, is he in his 50s? Does he have gray hair? Is he pleasant? Because as you say, John, the jurors know when you call the expert to the stand, they know he's going to support your case or you wouldn't put him up there. So that expert had better be able to relate to the jury and the likability factor, I think, is more important to me than anything else. I've seen medical malpractice cases at trial where the lawyer, whether he's on the plaintiff's side or defense side, spends 15 minutes going through the doctor's CV. You know, again, jurors get bored. You don't want to bore them. Get to the point. Lawyers will spend another 15 minutes saying, well, tell us what you've reviewed and they'll go through all the depositions, all the other. You know, flash something up on the screen. Is this what you've reviewed? And on the screen, it'll say depositions of six people and medical records of all these places. Get right to the point and get the witness talking. Try to get the witness off the witness stand in front of the jury. Get him on his feet, and he'll make a good impression, and the jury will listen. George, I've always found that even with the best experts, it almost comes out as a wash. You're paying somebody money to come in and testify. And I think a good lawyer on the other side, most of the time, can get as much good out of your expert as you get out of them. But again, I think certain cases, you know, the law requires you to have an expert in a medical malpractice case, in a product liability case. You can win a lot of cases by your cross-examination of the other party's expert because the jurors, they expect him to support, for instance, the defense case. But if you can get some information and some concessions out of that expert to support your case, it may be what puts your case over to the top and wins it for you. One thing I wanted to mention to the younger lawyers is your reputation is the most important thing you have. 
And your reputation precedes you throughout your time as a lawyer. And if you're somebody who is 100% honest 100% of the time, you get along with the other side, you are reasonable, you play by the rules, first of all, it's the right way to be a lawyer. Second, you'll get along with the other side. And finally, I never wanted somebody on the other side to work extra hard to defeat me. If they think, well, he's a good guy, he tries hard, I'm going to go and we'll try to defeat him, that's fine. That's why we're at the courthouse. But if you have wronged them at some point for one reason or another, they'll be working extra hard on the weekend to defeat you. And I didn't want that. Oftentimes, over a weekend, a lawyer would call me or something, and he'd have a problem on a case we had. And after the call, one of my children would say, Dad, why are you always so reasonable? Why do you always agree to things? And I said, well, I never agreed to anything that would harm the case, but I agree to shortcuts, stipulations, things like that. If you do that, you'll enjoy being a lawyer and it'll be easy for you and you'll have a great career. So, George, we talked about experts earlier, and now I'd like to ask you something about clients. What is the secret of keeping your clients happy and satisfied? That's a good question, John. And of course, every client is different. I think the best way to do that is at the beginning of the case, give the client a summary of how the case is going to proceed. I explained to them how when we file your lawsuit, by the time the sheriff serves the defendant and we answer, it's going to be 45 to 60 days. And then go through the fact of the discovery of your deposition and lay it out on them. Even with us doing the best we can, it likely will be 18 months to two years before your case gets to trial. And I would try to condition the client from the very beginning that his case is likely to go to trial. Lawyers should try more cases. My experience has been the good cases that I wanted to try, almost always we got more money than was offered. And that goes back to this idea of trying the good cases, trying cases you want to try. When young lawyers used to come in and talk to me at several of the firms I was with previously, they'd say, well, I know I'm going to lose this case, but I have no choice. My first reaction was, well, why did you take it? And second, let's see what we can do to win this case, not go up there with their defeatist attitude. And then I think routinely I would call clients and bring them up to date. If you just ignore the client, then they start wondering what's going on, and then they're calling you, and you're in a trial, and you don't get back to them. One of the things I did was frequently, like on a Saturday or a Sunday, I'd pull out 20 files, and I'd call the client and quickly peruse the file to bring it up to date, but I'd call them up and I'd say, hey, Mr. Jones, George Simmons, your lawyer here. And first of all, he's shocked that you're working on a Sunday. And second, I'd say, I'm just calling to bring you up to date. And ordinarily, they were so surprised that you called that they didn't have much to say. And a happy client is the best source of referrals. If they're happy with you and the way you're handling the case, they'll refer friends to you. And then that avoids those other long-term calls. 
Also, with keeping the clients happy, I tried to get them in the day before their deposition or a few days before, because if you do that at the last minute, I mean, things happen. They run late. They're all flustered because they're not there on time. You might be running late. All those things are a factor. Another thing I used to do is before the trial, I would have the client come in and we'd walk up to the courthouse and find an empty courtroom. And in the empty courtroom, I'd say, here's where your trial's going to be. Go up there and sit in that witness chair. And then I'd put them on the witness stand and go through their direct exam. They'd feel much better the next week when it came time to go back up there and do that. I've long been concerned that nervousness might look like dishonesty to a juror. And so I want to get rid of the anxiety just so they can look calm. Right. Yeah. The more comfortable your client is, the better witness they'll be. That's true, Eric, for sure. But mostly it's a lack of communication that causes lawyers problems with their client. There were times where I would send court pleadings to the client. It kind of depended. Sometimes sending court pleadings to the client for their review would be good. They'd see all the work you did or send them a copy of a deposition you took on their case. Yeah, I'd have to judge that on a case-by-case basis because some would want to come in and critique the questions I asked the witness, and others just really enjoyed being part of it. You know, I guess it depends on the case and the client. Correct, yeah. So what do you think jurors think about lawyers, maybe even clients too? I worry that we come in behind, that people see us as like salespeople, people pitching points of view, people who are there to try to trick them into thinking things. If that's true, what's the best way to remedy that with clients and jurors? What I found, if you talk to some people and they might say, I hate lawyers or lawyers are this or that, but you find their own lawyer they like, or when they need a lawyer, they'll call one. So what my philosophy was in trials was I always dress properly, but not too fancy. What I wanted the jury to do is when they came in and they saw me, I want them to just kind of look over there and be at least neutral. He looks all right. He's not wasting our time. He's getting right to the point. The clerk and the bailiff and the judge seem to like him. We'll see how it goes. Because as you said, Eric, there are a number of them who come in who don't like lawyers, who think they're slick, who think they're up to no good. You can never let the jury think you tried to pull something in the case with a witness, with an exhibit. If you do that, you're done. That's the end of it. So I tried to be neutral and build up from there. At least they said, he seems okay. Let's see what he does. You are a full-time mediator now, right? Yes, I do uh, mediation and arbitration now. I was in the trial work for 33 years. I loved it, but it came time to move on. And so I do now what I did before, but in a different capacity. That invites, uh, I guess, this question. What do you miss most about being a trial lawyer? And uh, what do you miss the least? I miss the least, the depositions and the delays. What I miss the most is the excitement of trial work, the excitement of being prepared, doing a good job at a trial, representing your client, doing the best you can. Once the jury took the case, I quit worrying because I knew that I had done the best I possibly could. So I had to let the chips fall where they may. And if you do the best you can, if you're 110% prepared, 
You're going to win the cases you're supposed to win, and you're going to win some that you're not supposed to win. That's what I miss, the excitement of the trial. What do you find more mentally taxing, being in the middle of a trial or being in the middle of a mediation? The trial work never felt taxing, really. I felt the excitement of it and the performance and the satisfaction of doing a good job. The mediation, it's good in a lot of ways. I enjoy helping people. If you have a case that is set for about a three-week trial and you can bring all the parties together and get it settled to free up the court, have both sides satisfied. Usually neither side is happy at a settlement, but if they're satisfied, I feel I've done a good job. Mediation fills a great role in the legal process, and that is the client comes in They have an opportunity to be heard, to tell their side of the story to the other lawyer, to tell their side of the story to the mediator, and they have the possibility of getting the case settled. They have an opportunity to see you perform as a lawyer. You may give an opening statement the way you perform with the mediator, the way you perform with the other side. So it's now ingrained in the legal process, and it fits a key role there in keeping cases settled and moving forward. I just have one more question about mediation. Do you have a philosophy or approach before you get to a particular case? And especially I'm wondering about how do you keep personalities or emotions or things that don't have to do with the value of the case from getting in the way of reaching a settlement that you think is attainable? There's a lot of comparisons to trial work, and that is, as the mediator, you've got to be alert and watching. It's kind of like in poker, where they talk about tells, T-E-L-L-S. You've got to watch everybody very carefully, because a tell might be that the plaintiff attorney has to be somewhere by 3 o'clock. A tell might be some indication of a witness problem on the plaintiff's side. A tell might be the defendant, their attitude. They're saying one thing, but you sense they are very concerned about the outcome of the case. A tell might be something they say about the other lawyer. In the mediations, it's similar to trial work too. I want to know if the other lawyer will try the case. If he won't try the case, I know it's going to get settled and you kind of go from there. The reason why it's very important for young lawyers to try cases is Whenever you get a case against somebody, one of the first things they're going to say is, does he or she ever try any cases? And if they say, oh, yeah, she tried such and such case, she got a good result there, she's going to court all the time, they're going to pay you more money. It's also very important on my part as mediator to get the plaintiff talking. Let them get rid of their anger and negativity and talk. You know, I've had cases where I said to the plaintiff, you know, tell me about your injuries and how it affected your life. And they're still talking an hour later. And I don't interrupt. I figure when they get tired, they'll stop talking. And once people get to tell their story, they feel better. Then they're more willing to talk about resolving the dispute. Same with the business dispute. For instance, maybe it was a business partnership that fell apart. If they can get in there and tell me about how much they were wronged and what the other side did and it was outrageous, once they get it all out in the open, it's a little easier to talk about money. Until they get that stuff off their chest, they're not willing to talk. 
George, thanks for joining us on the second episode. We really appreciate all your insights. Good luck in your future uh, mediations and arbitrations. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you for inviting me. All right. That's been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Feith. I'm John Simon. We'll see you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. Subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.